Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's guest is Lachlan Penfold. Lachlan Penfold served as the head of physical performance and sports medicine for the Golden State Warriors. So he worked alongside Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay Thompson, the whole crew, and uh, maintains that position with the Melbourne Storm, which is a high-ranking rugby team, three consecutive National Rugby League titles in Australia. And this was a fascinating conversation because the world of performance, I would way beyond strength coaches at this point, performance coaches, head of physical performance, head of sports medicine, all that good stuff, we're reaching higher levels. We're talking about float tanks, hyperbaric chambers, uh, all kinds of technologies that have yet to be explored even. And uh, this guy was fascinating. I really enjoyed talking to Mr. Penfold. The time difference made it challenging. I think he was up at like 6 a.m. or something like that being in Australia to chat. So I appreciate him talking. Uh, but, yeah, you'll learn a lot about the world of sports performance, uh, strength coaches, that kind of stuff. Uh, also some fun stories about the Warriors and about rugby. And uh, Lachlan and I also got into discussion about what are the best athletes in the world. I think, as I've mentioned before, uh, Brad Botkin and I of CBS Sports, we've uh, been discussing launching a podcast series where we will have guests on to talk about uh, best athletes in the world and which sports kind of lend themselves to athleticism and all that stuff. Consider this a little bit of a teaser for that series, too. Lachlan and I got into all that. I think you'll really, really dig it, whether you're a basketball fan, a rugby fan, or just interested in stuff that you didn't know before, which I totally am. So, yeah, enjoy this uh, episode of the Jonah Carey Podcast with Lachlan Penfold. It's a good one. Lachlan Penfold, welcome to the show, and we're going to get right into it, and I'm going to ask you the first question right off the top. So you're the director of performance for the Melbourne Storm, a rugby team, very successful rugby team, three-peated. Golden State Warriors, wildly successful. You were there, record-breaking season. Everything is great. Why is it that athletes are getting hurt with such frequency? What are they doing wrong? What? Are, how can you make this better? How do you try to make this better? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, and, and a lot of my, my work is based around that. So look, I think the core component is you, you've got to have a, have a strong training, um, background. Okay. So the, the problem is that, uh, in a lot of sports nowadays, people want to fast track themselves. They want to get to the top quickly. They shortcut, they missteps. Um, a lot of sports also don't have, uh, significant pre-seasons. Mm. Um, so therefore, Training time is reduced. You know, when your preseason is one month long and your season's nine months long, there's a little bit of a, an unbalance there. And, um, you know, if we compete too much and we don't train enough, um, you know, you, you're going to predispose yourself to, to a bigger risk of injury. Um, and, and, you know, sport is about competition. So it's not about, 
we have to eliminate competing and we want to train for eight months and compete for two. But, you know, we have to find a balance. Um, obviously, in some sports like the NBA, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of games. So, yeah. you know, you're playing nearly four games a week. Um, two of those on average are away and two are at home and there's a lot of travel involved. And so there's a high level of fatigue um, and those sort of things that come into it. You know, so at, at the higher end, that's obviously a factor. Um, you know, I know there's been a big increase in, in injuries in the NFL um, and a lot of that's been attributed to the reduced amount of time they have in their preseason periods mm-hmm. um, when the players are actually training. And, and that has a twofold effect. One, you can't do the work that you need with them. And two, when they come back, the coaches have such a short window to prepare them that, you know, uh, there's probably a, a feeling that you need to get a lot done in a, in a short amount of time. And so you pro- probably... There's a tendency to rush through things and, and go too too fast, too quick. Um, and, and, you know, that's always – there's a little bit of the art to it there. That's trying to find the right balance of how much work can every player tolerate, um, but not too much. But, again, if you don't push them hard enough, they're not going to get better. So it, it's a fine balance. Um, and the other the other factor when you're working in team sports is, mm. you know, at the moment we have 35 players. All of them handle – training loads and, and work different ways and how do we get what we need to do in a team context but also individualise it as much as possible. So, you know, there's multiple challenges and, and it becomes very difficult. Um, but I think at the end of the day, to try and get rid of injuries, it, it needs to come back to sound training principles. Um, you know, being smart with how you manage players, um, you know, and at times coaches want to push and, you know, you might want to pull back or the other way around and, and being able to take time out and evaluate where you're really at rather than making decisions in the heat of the moment. I know I have a good podcast guest when the first answer elicits maybe 97,000 questions. So this is perfect. I, I my brain is all over. <laughs> this is great. There's a lot of information. First Aussie on the podcast and a lot of follow up. So let's go here. You yep. talked about fatigue as a factor and you want to train and you want them to be finely tuned and all that good stuff. In the NBA in particular, and obviously you can speak to this having spent that time with the Warriors and, and, and wildly successful team, the mm-hmm. trend now is preseason, not preseason. How about we're not going to play regular season games? How about the San Antonio Spurs are just like, yep, all our guys are benched to the point that the commissioner mm-hmm. actually has to intervene and say, whoa, 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 buddy, this is the game of the week and it's the, supposed to get national TV ratings and your starting point guard is Lachlan Penfold and the shooting guard is Jonah Carey, that's not very good. We need Duncan or, or Ginobili in there or Curry or, or Green or whatever. How do you – what do you think of that emerging trend in the NBA in particular because it's really come on strong lately? Yeah, look, you know, I, I think it's a smart idea. Um, I, I think, yeah, having been there uh, only for a short period of time, mm. 82 games in, in, in that short period of time that you play and the amount of travel – there is a high level of fatigue. Um, and, and, you know, like in my mind, the, the NBA take nothing away from the players because they are, you know, the most talented basketball players in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but it's a compromised performance environment, okay, because it's about entertainment. Um, and if you ask a player to play four games of high-intensity, high-level basketball in at least three, maybe four different cities in a week, they're not going to perform at their best. Um, that's that's a fact, you know. Um, they might perform close to it, but they're not performing at their best. So it's a compromised performance environment. The longer you go through the season, that's what happens. And and obviously there's, um, you know, teams that you get up for and teams that you probably don't and, and those sort of things. So 
to me, it makes sense. And, and, you know, obviously the Spurs have led the way in terms of resting players for a number of years and other teams are catching up. Mm. Um, and, you know, the NBA, the problem with, with professional sports is they're dictated by money, which comes from television, television networks, and therefore they want to show a product. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I remember the game, the Warriors and the Spurs, and they both benched about three players <laughs> each. Um, you know, but in all honesty, the NBA needs to take a little bit of responsibility for that because I think that was a back to back, at least for the Warriors on a, you know, a traveler that had three games or four games in five days or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it had a, had a hell of a lot of travel. And then they put the Spurs game right at the end of that. Well, if that's a highlight game for you, you need to protect it a little bit better within your TV scheduling and, and your game scheduling. So, um, but as a, as a person who's working on the performance staff, um, and with the coaches, you want to do the best thing for your player. And, and don't forget, at the end of the day, you've got the long-term view in mind for those better teams. Hey, we want to win the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if resting a game here or there is going to protect those players to leave you in a better state, you're going to do it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it sounds so. like this, it sounds like this differs quite a bit from NRL and, and just various rugby leagues, right? I mean, are we ta- what is the frequency of games there? And does it seem like performance is more at a premium than? are more important than TV ratings and so forth. Like, I mean, does it really feel to you that rugby is all about the players and about the league more so than uh, the big four American sports? Yeah. Oh, look, um, sport over here in Australia is dictated by the TV dollar as well. So, okay. but, but we're a bit more like an NFL schedule. So we play on average once a week. Right. Um, obviously there's a much bigger a physical, yes. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a very tough sport. So yeah, you know, you can't play too much more than that. Um, yeah. We will have a game somewhere between five to ten days because we have a you know a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday game day. Right. Um, and so you might play on a Sunday, then on a Friday, or you might play on a Thursday and then the following Sunday. So you could have somewhere between five to ten days between games. Most of the time, it's somewhere six to eight is the average. Um, but again, our games are dictated by what the TV want. They want the best game at the best time, and if that means that you have a five day break instead of seven, well, that's what you get. Um, yeah, so obviously that the the player management is an issue in that area. But um, if you only have 24 games in a year versus 82, every game has more meaning and significance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what I sort of mean by, uh, you know, I guess I felt coming from this environment that an NBA game didn't have as much value to it every game. You know what I mean? Because you had 82 of them and. You know, some of them were a bit ho-hum and away you go and yet we win, we lose, whatever. Um, right. Obviously, in that year, we didn't lose a whole lot. Um, <laughs> no. But, but you know what I mean. But if you only have 24 of them, then every game becomes a lot more important. Um, so so that's what I meant what, when I say competition is, is, I guess, devalued a little bit when you're playing so many games. Um, obviously, the nature of the sport allows you to play more games, but are they worth as much? So, um, But coming back to it, you know, we still have the the, the thing to deal with of, you know, how, how do we get players up for five days versus 10 days? How much work do we get done? How much do we need to do with recovery and, and, and all those sort of things? And we also have, I guess you could call it an all-star game, but a serious all-star game, which mm. they call State of Origin, which is the most intense rugby league that you play. And we have three of those games throughout the season and a number of our players go away and play that. And they might play on a Wednesday and often would back up on the weekend to play. But this year we took a, a stance that we need to rest those players, especially for our players are getting older because we need them at the back end of the year. So, um, you, you know, we, we had to rest players at different times. You know, it's not a, it's not a whole in philosophy. Everyone's going to rest. It's, it's individualized. Who needs it? Why do they need it? 
when do they need it, those sort of things. So, yeah. One of the key aspects of performance, of course, is nutrition. It's not just strength training. It's it's really understanding what you put in your body. That's become a point of emphasis in every sport, much more than it was in the past. And one of my favorite articles, sports articles in recent vintage, was by a guy named Baxter Holmes, a terrific NBA writer. And he wrote about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and how, yes, oh, you could take the triple juice smoothie with the kale and the spinach and the da-da-da-da-da, super refined GNC, and here are the powder. No, 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 no. If you're Steph, if you're a lot of guys, PBJ is the way to go. So PBJ has nutrition. There's no doubt about that. But it's also sugary and it's not highly tuned and whatever. How do you strike that balance? How is it that you're running performance on a team that, that seems to be really, really caught up in PBJ? Yeah, yeah good question. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, there was a, there was a little bit written about that and, and, you know, the, um, I can't remember, maybe ESPN or someone did a funny little skit about it. Um, yeah, so it gathered a bit of publicity. Look, absolutely nutrition is, is a very important part of, um, athlete performance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we took the philosophy at the Warriors and, and we do it here as well is that we want to feed the players, you know, quality whole foods, um, non-processed, you know, we want to get things like grass-fed, grass-finished meats. We want to get as much as possible local vegetables, not you know, yep. things that have a whole lot of pesticides and, and, uh, you know, grain fed animals and all those sort of things. So we want to get quality, healthy foods. Um, and, you know, the, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich is it's basically a whole lot of sugar and processed carbs, which yeah. is probably not ideal. Um, but you know, so when we provided the players with breakfasts and lunches, we tried to, and dinners when we, when we did, we tried to give them those quality foods and, and we wouldn't have things, you know, lying around like peanut butter and jelly, but, and I sort of, I wondered why everyone loved it over there, especially in basketball. And I sort of thought, well, maybe as they're growing up, you know, as kids and that sort of stuff, yeah. that was an easy thing to give kids. Oh, here's a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches you take to the games and they all eat them. So a lot of our players wanted to have them pre-game because that's what they've always done. Well, you're not going to mess with a game day routine. Hey, Steph, no, you can't, you can't have your peanut butter and jelly right. sandwich today, mate. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he goes, you know, one for 10 and the coach says, right. You're fired. <laughs> your ass is on the line. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so you've got to find the balance of, okay, when's the right time and when's not. So obviously game days and their routines are very important to them. Mm. So you allow them to do whatever they want to do with that. But outside of that, you're trying to provide them with healthy quality options of food to fuel their bodies, which will hopefully help them recover better, train better, perform better. You know, so, yeah, but we did, uh, there's a little bit of publicity about that one during the year. And then, you know, obviously it's going to be the player's disposition. The player can be guided a certain way, but if they really don't like this or if they prefer that, you're going to obviously cater to their, to their desires. But at the same time, mm-hmm. one thing that I found an interesting trend, it seems to be happening a little bit more and more, is that players, particularly if they want to get more fit, a little bit slimmer, uh, or maybe just change the way that they feel. They're going plant-based often. You're seeing more vegetarian diets here. There may be even mm-hmm. vegan diets. Um, walk us through a little bit what maybe some of the pros and cons of that are, because obviously in any sport, protein is absolutely crucial. There are ways to get protein in a plant-based diet, no doubt. But I find that to be an interesting trend that, you know, here are these real rough and tough athletes, whether it's athletes, rugby, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, and they're saying, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to do this plant-based thing, and we're going to see what happens. Yeah, look, I mean, every individual has, has things that suit, suit them. Um, but one of the biggest, I guess, um, deficiencies of a plant-based diet is that, um, you know, your meats, um, or, or your animal proteins, let's call it, mm-hmm. um, 
are the only ones that have all um, all sources of protein in one. So, you know, plant-based, it'll have some of your protein sources but not others, and so you have to mix and match a little bit. Um, the other thing that, you know, I, I know that some people have had trouble with, especially bigger people, is, is in terms of getting the quantity of food that they need through mm. plant-based diets. So, um, you know, in, in my mind, an ideal diet has protein, um, I would say animal sourced. Um, you, you have, you still have a lot of vegetables, um, but, and you also have fats, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's not just animal fats. Fats can be avocados, nuts, those sort of things. Um, so it, you know, you need to have, I think, a balance. Um, and, and you know, with, with a lot of things in sport, you find that there's a bit of a pendulum. It'll swing too far one way, too far the other way, and eventually you find the right balance. The right balance for you versus me may be slightly different, but you know, in my opinion, I, I think that animal sources of protein, quality animal sources of protein, are healthy for you and good for you, and, and provide um, you know the nutrients that you need, especially in terms of your recovery. So, yeah, I find rugby to be such a fascinating sport. Separately uh, for CBS Sports, I'm actually working with a, um, one of my colleagues on finding the hundred greatest athletes in the world, active athletes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on this side of the – I grew up in Canada. Hockey's yep. – obviously, I know about it. I cover baseball yep. primarily. I love basketball. NFL's ubiquitous. It's easy to know that stuff. Yeah, sure. In a recent conversation with this fellow, Brad, I said, is it possible that rugby players are actually the best athletes in the world? Because they're kind of playing football without pads to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And I find yep. that to be amazing and, and inspiring and all that. Take me through a little bit about – the athleticism of, of rugby, of the elite rugby players and what it takes to succeed at that level because it's just the speed and the power and the resilience to get clocked over and over, recover, and then, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'm back in six days. It, it's almost mind-boggling to me. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, the first thing I'll, I guess I'll clarify um, for everyone is when, when you say rugby and a lot of people say rugby, there's actually two what we'll call rugby. There's a rugby union yeah. and a rugby league. Um, and so – uh, the rugby union is probably a bigger world game. They have the World Cup and rugby league is, is more dominated in Australia, New Zealand, England. Um, and I'm involved in rugby league. I personally believe, having worked in both, that rugby league is a tougher sport and, okay. and has better athletes. And I've probably alienated the whole rugby world now, <laughs> rugby union world, that is. Well, what makes but, you say that? What makes you say that? What about it? What about the sport? Um, because it's a more generic uh, athlete profile in rugby league you have to be able to run pass hit tackle in rugby union you know you have some more and and admittedly it has got a whole lot more athletic if that's the right word over the years mm-hmm. um but you know you, you still have your props and your second rows which are less athletic than than other players and and if you look at the the number of rugby league players that will transfer to rugby union and make it and the rugby union players that don't make it in rugby league um, I think a little bit to that of that is athleticism, and you talk with players that have come from rugby union and into rugby league, and and it's a more physically demanding game, rugby league, definitely gotcha. without a doubt. Little things like balling play time in rugby league is about fifty-five minutes out of the eighty. Yeah. Um, in rugby union, it's about thirty. So you're actually oh, wow. working harder, moving a lot more. So, um, but you know, we, we have guys ranging from uh, I'm going to give a quick mass. Probably around about 190 pounds through to, um, 250, 260 pounds. Jeez, yeah. Um, you know, 
And it's not, you know, in American football, the, the linemen bash up against each other and, you know, they'll hit a running back and, but the wide receivers are going up against the cornerbacks and it's sort of a bit of a like on like. Mm-hmm. In, in rugby league, the, the 190 pound fullback will run into the 260 pound prop and get smashed. You know, he's <laughs> got to be able to get up again and, and play. And, and so these guys are extremely athletic. They'll probably run, you know, around about, uh, again, I'm doing a miles conversion. Yeah. Around about th- three to four miles up to probably eight miles in a game. Wow. Which is not a massive amount of running, but when you consider you're getting up and down up off the ground all the time, there's a heap of sprints, there's a heap of contact and collision. It, it's, it's a tough game, you know. So, um, when you have a five day break, it's pretty hard to recover from and most of your week is spent around recovery. So, yeah. Um, but you, you really need, Ideally, you need to watch it to understand it or to appreciate it. And if you see it live and you hear, you actually hear the impacts. That's that's when you know it's tough. You know the the wind being expelled out of people's chests as they get smashed <laughs> by others, and yeah, all this fun sort of stuff. Well, I would guess that you know, as director of performance, your job is not only it's to prevent injuries, certainly through pregame training and and and, on and so forth. But I would guess that it would involve injury avoidance during the game too. You're going to get drilled. Mm-hmm. Do you put your head this way? Do you stick your shoulder this way? How do you prep for impact? I mean, how much of that is part of your job? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, obviously technique in sport is important, whether it's dunking a basketball, throwing a pass, or getting your head in the right spot to make a tackle. And, you know, I'll divert a little bit. You know, it's interesting sure. to note that a number of NFL teams are now looking at rugby league and rugby union teams and coaches to help them with their tackling technique. Yes. Um, in terms of avoiding injuries and concussion, that sort of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we spend a lot of time, um, in terms of refining our tackling technique and practicing, you know, people will call it wrestling. We'll call it contact, our contact technique, you know, so we spend, we'll have at least two sessions a week at the moment that go for an hour each and they're probably, they're close to the hardest sessions that they do in a week. And, and that's just physical contact over and over and over again. You know, getting used to being hit, hitting people. How do I, where do I put my head? How do I, you know, work together with another teammate to make a tackle? Those sort of things. Because, uh, you know, they need to prepare themselves with contact for contact in a game. Hmm. Um, and the more that you do, the better you get at it and the better, better condition your body gets to it. So yeah, it's, it's a massively important part of our training. So when you came over to the Warriors, you know, obviously the Warriors management valued your skill set and so forth, and you're interacting with these players for the first time. Did they look at it as, oh, here comes this guy with radically different approach because he's coming from the other side of the pond, of the pond with a different background, a different sport? Or did they just say, okay, boss, what do you got? I, I want to be able to hit more jumpers and stay healthier. I mean, what was the, what was the sort of attitude? of the rank and file players when you came over because obviously a ton of expertise and creativity potential by virtue of having that different background but people are also creatures of habit and this might have been a different thing for them yeah look absolutely and so there was um yeah again you pull 15 people off the street and everyone's going to value things differently and react differently and so we had some players that were incredibly um inquisitive um, and responsive, you know, so they were, you know, what can I do? How would this work? Will that help me? Um, and you know, they would try things and that, and they felt that they got better from that. And then we had other players that, Hey, you know, I've always done it this way, so I'm not going to change. And, um, they're, they're a little bit more challenging at times and, and 
you know, occasionally you get a win and occasionally you don't get a win, uh, which is part of the frustration of the job. But, um, look, you know, the NBA, um, I feel like players have got there basically on their own and, and they've developed routines that they know have worked for them. And if you try and change everything all at once, you're just going to meet resistance. So, um, you know, I tried to implement different strategies with different players. Um, some you knew that they would take on and some, some they wouldn't, you know. So, um, again, one of the things that was written about was, you know, the float tanks. And, um, you know, we, we first tried that with a few players, um, before the preseason even started because, you know, I found having used it in the past with, with other players, it's a great form of relaxation. Can you explain to, um, lay, to the layman what a flow tank is, by sure. the way? Yeah. 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 Sure. For sure. Yeah. So it, it's like a, basically a, a pod that's full of water, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's highly salted water. Yeah. Um, so salt, salt one that allows you to float rather than drowning, right. which wouldn't be very relaxing. Um, <laughs> and, and, and secondly, the salt, like the magnesium in the salt is absorbed through the body. And so it has a great restorative effect. Mm. Um, most people you'll find a deficient in magnesium. So again, it's another way of getting magnesium into the body. Um, it helps in terms of relaxation of muscles. Um, yeah, and, and it's just magnesium is a good thing for cellular health. So you've got that aspect of, of absorption. Um, you're, you're weightless. So you're floating in, in a, you know, a pool of water. Um, so there's, a, there's a good, let's call it joint relief. So, you know, there's no weight in your joints. It's a good relaxation form. But for me, the most important thing for these guys was when you get in there, you can't take your mobile phone in, right? So you got to leave it on the outside, you shut the door, and you're in there for an hour with yourself. So oh, you can wow. pop some music in or you can just have your thoughts. But the biggest thing was that they weren't disturbed for an hour. So they could actually have their own time, me time, for one hour out of 24 hours, which often they don't get. Um, and, and that was one of the things that a number of the players remarked on. It's like, man, how good is that just to get away from everyone? Yeah. Um, you know, so there was a mental, let's call it emotional relaxation um, or recovery from that as well. So... Yeah, you know, some of those players really liked it and, you know, some of them did one and went, oh man, I can't stand that. I felt claustrophobic. So, okay, that's right. That's cool. Let's try something else. Um, you know, and so that's, you just try and find strategies for different players. You know, some players had never done any strength training or very little. So the most important thing they could do was actually get a little bit stronger and that would help prevent injuries for them. Whereas other guys were, you know, highly trained and they actually needed to recover better. So it was trying to find the right thing for the right people. I find the mental aspect so interesting too. There would assume, I would assume that there can be some progression beyond just a director of performance where you might have a team psychologist and so forth. But at the same time, if you're dealing with athletes, even in the physical, it's automatic that the mental is going to take place too. And these are the elite of the elite. These are guys that are borderline superhuman with their skills. The 15th man on the basketball team, the 35th man on the rugby team is unbelievable. You know, just the highest train at just terrific. For guys like that to admit vulnerability or say, gosh, I'm anxious about tonight's game, or whatever, things like that, do you get involved? A lot? I mean, again, there could be team psychologists, but does that come into play? And, and if so, how do you try to, to do that? Because that's a different target audience than a child or an accountant or whatever. Yeah, look, absolutely. Look, um, obviously, I'm not a, a psychologist sure. or trained in that area. Um, having dealt with athletes for a number of years, you can at times pick up, you know, when guys are anxious or, you know, need some help in terms of being able to relax, um, you know, how they're handling stress, those sort of things. And so, um, you know, in a previous role at Sydney Roosters, we had a guy come in and do mindfulness with, with a number of our players. 
which they found really, really effective. Um, you know, we've, we've done other things like targeting players for, you know, simple things like learning how to sleep better, you know, which you're probably sitting there going, damn, doesn't everyone know how to sleep? No. But when you, you know, when you've played a game and you're, you're wide awake at 11.30 at night and you know you should be getting to sleep. And oh, you're, you're in Salt Lake worried. City instead of at home or you're in Boston or yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so just simple techniques like that. Um, but you know, you're right. I think, I think we're, we're much closer to our potential in physical training than we are in the whole, you know, neural, mental, emotional, um, realm of, of things and, and tapping into that is extremely important. We didn't have a psychologist at the Warriors when I was there. The year before they had a, had a guy, um, Chris Johnson, who, who then went off to the Pittsburgh Pirates, the baseball team. Yeah. Um, you know, but there is, there is an aspect of, there's still a, a, a negativity associated with it at times. Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing this like, you know, I need to see a shrink, you know, or I'm a bit messed up or whatever, or they're going to think I'm weak. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, it just needs to be seen as another skill. So if, if I'm, if I have weak legs, I need to train in the gym. If, if, if I'm not doing the right things mentally, I need to train that or I need to learn how to do it properly. So, um, you know, but that, that's still something that needs to be overcome. Yeah. Less of a stigma now than 20, 30 yeah, years absolutely. ago, certainly, but we've got a ways to yeah. go. Um, you yeah, talked yeah. about, talked about the flow tank and, and I think that fundamentally one of the things I try to do in this podcast and maybe my writing too is on your end, there are certain things that you just kind of take for granted. Of course we're going to do this. Of course we're going to do that. But the, again, fans might not know about flow tanks, might not know about things like that. <laughs> Any other examples of training techniques that if you're a weekend warrior playing pickup hoops or you mess around with rugby or you go golfing once a week and you tell you and you have something and you say it, people be like, what? What? I can do this? You know, the magnesium absorption, these are way above people's heads. So what are some other techniques that are really cutting edge on your end? Maybe, or maybe the routine on your end, but to the lay person, it's like, wow, that's some cool stuff I'd never heard of before. Yeah, sure. Look, I, I mean, um, you know, we touched on, a, like you mentioned with the magnesium, so that's some jog my memory a bit. You know, one of the things that we did was, was blood testing. So we oh. did a, a routine blood test with, with our players twice during the year mm-hmm. to find deficiencies. Essentially, you know, magnesium deficiencies, vitamin D is a massive, um, problem, you know, uh, because you're indoors all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, high proportion of African American, um, athletes, which often have low, you know, vitamin D levels anyway. Interesting. Um, you know, so, so we did a, 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 well, no, more than a routine blood test, a fairly comprehensive and extensive blood test. Um, and then we went through every player's individual results and tried to supplement individually according to them what they needed um you know and i had you know a number of veterans of the league you know been in the league eight to ten years who at the end of the season said look that's the best i've felt all the way through because obviously you start off well and then you you hit a dip and if you're in playoffs you probably pick up a bit because of the excitement but um you know for me that would that that was a I, i guess a a positive of the nutrition slash supplementation program that we tried to do Hmm. um that they felt that good all the way through. Um, so, so that was really important. Um, you know, there, in terms of technology, there, there was a lot written about, you know, some of the things like the catapult data. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still believe, uh, you know, which is, which is a GPS, um, unit that the players wear, but at the stage it was at when I was in the NBA, it didn't give you a whole lot of, um, metrics like how far did you run how fast right. did you run it, it gave you a basic body load which you know i've been using gps for 10 years and 
to be honest with you, I struggled to put it into a whole lot of context. You know, that mm. training session was a 643. What does that mean? <laughs> but if I told you you ran 2.5 miles, you'd go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, um, obviously we got information data from the sport view cameras. Yeah. Um, which was really helpful in terms of, again, how far players ran, accelerations, all those sort of things, um, different speeds, um, which was really useful in terms of putting into context how hard a game was purely from a physical perspective. Um, you know, so, so they were some of the things, um, you know, we, we looked to, um, uh, you know, you obviously get approached by a whole lot of different companies at different times. Um, yeah. Probably the one that, that we started to explore and, and, and I left before we really got anywhere with it was, um, the, the Halo Sport, um, headphones, which is the, the neuro simulation. Yeah. Um, you know, which I think out of all the things that, you know, the new products that, that people approach me with, that was the one that, you know, probably I think there's, there's something there with that, that, that can actually help. Um, you know, but you've got to train with it. it it's not something that you just, uh, you know, you stick the headphones on and then all of a sudden you become stronger. Um, you know, so you need to, you need to use it with a proper training program. But I actually think that, um, that there's, there's potential there for skill development, for, for physical performance, that that could actually be something as well. So, you know, yeah. Uh, and what about tech and rugby? I mean, catapult and sport view and so forth. Rugby is obviously different because when you're confined to an arena, it's, probably easier to measure than on a gigantic rugby pitch, I would guess, but I would think there has to be some sort of, you know, whether it's overhead tech or maybe different kinds of tech that might not be deployed on the other side of the pond or in different sports. Yeah, well, see, in, in, in rugby, well, in all the football codes over here, we're allowed to use GPS in competition. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Whereas in the NBA, you're not. Yeah. So, um, which always sort of, I guess, amused me, you know, like basketball, if we call basketball a contact sport, then then football is a collision sport, you know. So, right. um, you know, we're, we're running around, well, the players are anyway, I'm not. Uh, yeah. They're running around with GPS units bashing into each other and there's not a not a safety concern. But in the NBA, there's a safety concern because of wearing GPS units. So, hmm. um, but that's that's probably the main um, source of, of game day information from a physical perspective. Um, and the, the good thing is that because we use it in training and games, it's, it's the same data. Whereas in the NBA, when you had... GPS and training and sport view cameras and games, you had two different sets of data, which became a little confusing as well. So that, that's probably the main thing. You know, I've used heart rate monitoring in, in training definitely, but in some games as well. Um, but from a, from a physical perspective, the, the main thing is the GPS units. Yeah. You talked about some of the players, uh, who seemed very receptive to different techniques and so forth and, and guys you might have enjoyed working with. And I'm all about the positive. We don't have to get into this guy said, ah, I don't want you. So let, let's deal yeah, with sure. someone on the Warriors who you, and it could be a star, it could be the 12th man off the bench or whatever, but somebody who, oh, that's cool. Or let's try this thing or let's be adventurous. I'm just interested in kind of the one-on-one interaction and, and what might have gone on. Assuming there's no HIPAA violation or whatever. Uh, yeah, walk yeah. through one relationship, I guess. Sure. Look, you know, I mean, when I, when I first got there, so I got there in, uh, uh, July. And yep. so I went out to the training center and, and there's myself and Steph Curry and Harrison Barnes. That were the two guys around. So I got okay. to, you know, develop a decent relationship with those two guys. And, um, you know, both of those guys were very interested in becoming better, um, and doing everything they can to, to be better. Um, Harrison was probably, 
a little bit more interested in some of the technology, you know, so we looked at some Amiga Wave, you know, obviously the GPS, those sort of things. Hmm. But that's not to say Steph wasn't. He was, but, um, you know, Steph, I found, you know, dealing with Steph, like there's a saying that one of the football coaches I used to work with, um, he used to say, you know, if, if you want to stay number one, you have to train like you're number two. And that's what okay. I observed with Steph. He, he was, he was the hardest training bloke there. He was the most humble bloke there. And he was the most inquisitive and receptive bloke in terms of, of, you know, I'd say to him, Hey, have you, have you done this before? No, why would I do that? Because it's going to help you in this, this and this. And he look at you and go, okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, which, which is a great attitude. Yeah. And, you know, other guys, they might be like, uh, nah, when everyone else is doing it, then I'll do it, you know, but as long as you could explain to Steph why this would work, um, and how it could help him, he was all on board and, and, you know, for a guy who was, he'd just come off an M- MVP season, um, to be so willing to, to look at ways of, at ways of becoming better, I thought that was fantastic. And he obviously had another very good year that year. And, um, you know, he, he's one of the best players in the world. Yeah. So, um, I, I thought that was fantastic. But, you know, there were other guys. Harrison Barnes was very receptive. You know, you said the one to the 15 and, and not saying the 15, but, you know, guys like James Michael McAdoo, he was, he was yeah. a great guy to work with. Mm-hmm. Hard working every day, just turn up, do the right thing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what you want is every player to walk away and go, I'm happy that I've achieved everything I could out of my career because I gave it my best shot. Um, and, you know, and those three guys, I'm sure can walk away whenever they're done and say that there'll be other guys that, that can't do that. But, you know, that's, that's their cross to bear in life. And all I can do is, is offer to help them as much as I can in my role. Curry's so interesting too, because these guys, some of them are just so imposing and muscular and huge. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and not just the centers, not just the guys who are seven feet tall. I mean, LeBron is a quintessential example. He's faster than almost anybody else and he's stronger than anybody else. And it's, it's unbelievable. Steph is certainly strong. There's no question. I'm sure his core strength is off the charts. There's no question, but his build is slight. That's his natural build. When you see yep. somebody like that, even though you know that he might be the best player in the world, do you get a temptation to say, buddy, put on 10 pounds. It's going to help you. <laughs> I mean, how do you kind of reconcile that sort of thing with somebody who's built like him, despite the fact that he's amazing, despite the fact that he works hard, despite the fact that he is physically strong, just that he's small. Yeah, yeah. Look, and that's a good point. You know, um, at the end of the day, what you, you know, and what I needed to keep reminding myself is that basketball is a skill dominant sport. Yeah. Um, and they need to be good at their skill. Now, the, the physical work is a supplement to enable them to go out there and perform their skill every day and every night. Um, and hopefully help prevent them getting injured because they're, they're stronger. But, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Vern Gambetero, has this quote, how much strength is enough? Mm. And, and that's what you've always got to ask yourself. More is not better. More is just more. So Steph, he may need to be stronger. And, and you know, there was a few articles written a while ago when he went through his ankle problems that yeah. he needed to get stronger in his lower legs, which he did. But, you know, there's, there's a certain level of strength that he needs to get to and then not really much more. That doesn't mean he stops lifting or doing other things, but continually pushing extra, extra, extra is probably not going to help him. And, you know, you mentioned that he, that he's only slight compared to some of those guys. His, his game is obviously not built on strength and power right. and, and, and brute force. And, you know, I had the privilege to be able to just sit there and watch him train at times. And you'd be sitting there and his level of, let's call it 
inter intramuscular coordination, his, his rhythm, his his you know coordination, hand eye, all that sort of stuff is is off the charts. Oh, like yeah. he, he does this little drill and he'd have a hundred three point shots and you know if he got under eighty five out of a hundred he'd be dirty on himself. And, <laughs> Yeah, you know, you'd just be sitting behind him watching and, and every ball's just going straight through the net. It's just unbelievable. So, um, yeah, you, you're right with him. You, you could have really messed him up if you, if you went too hard with, with physical work and forgot about the skills. So it, again, it's trying to find the right balance. We had some guys that needed to do more physical work than what they did. Uh, but they didn't really buy into that aspect. Um, yeah, but on the whole, most of them were pretty good with it. So. Not only did I like the Curry anecdote, but dirty on himself is a fantastic expression that I'm now going to import to the United States to Canada. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah uh, there's, a, there's a few Australianisms that we struggled with, myself and the Warriors, that time. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, I, another great article. It's funny, also ESPN actually was written by a guy named, I think it was a Kevin Arnovitz article, Kevin's Great. It was about Ben Simmons. And I, I'm sure uh-huh. that you know of Ben on both sides yeah. of the pond, of course. Terrific basketball player, but up until age 14, a terrific Australian rules football player, like terrific, you know, on the yes. potential to be elite maybe, and they were talking could be a first-round draft pick and so forth. And the article talked about how those skills, footy skills, I guess you would call them, could translate to the NBA, how the ability to absorb contact on purpose mm. is good if you're driving the lane. That, yeah, he's 6'10", uh, but he plays better defense than almost anybody else at his position, not just because he's 6'10", but because he's both strong and used to contact. Mm-hmm. What do you make of cross, you know, I don't want to get too far down the, the footy road, so let's just go in general. What do you make mm. of cross-sport discipline? If you're training an elite rugby player, do you say, you know what, buddy, why don't you try hitting a fastball? Or why don't you work on your slap shot? Or I mean, is there, do you find yourself trying to come up with alternative techniques to training that might involve them dabbling in other sports or maybe even getting serious about other sports? Yeah, look, um, I think when you get to the level where we're at with, yeah, where I was at the Warriors or where we are here. Yeah. There's not, there's not a lot of time for cross sports. You know, we might occasionally play different sports. Um, within our training here at the moment, we do a heap of different games, as in football games, different, what we'll call conditioning games. Yeah. Um, that, you know, make, make players do things outside of their normal positional role. But, um, as an athlete growing up, absolutely. The, the ability to play multiple sports yeah. uh, is incredibly important from a, a game sense awareness, um, you know, from the ability to think from different positions, perspectives, and from a physical conditioning perspective because, you know, some sports require endurance, some require more speed, agility. And so you're just ge- developing general athleticism by playing more sports. You're developing, you know, if you play baseball versus football versus basketball, there's different um, – Types of hand-eye coordination and yeah. those sort of things required. Um, and, and so it, it's incredibly important. And, you know, using the Ben Simmons example in reverse, there's, there's a couple of players at the top level of Australian rules football here in Australia that were elite level basketball players. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, they could have, they may not have played NBA like Ben Simmons has, but they would have played at least the top league in Australia. Hmm. Um, and, and so, and their skill in, Football is also related back to their basketball background, you know, and their ability to to work within closed spaces and and see, um, you know, understand, you know, like let's call it game threats and, and, you know, invasion and and that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's worked the other way as well. Um, So I think that's incredibly important. Um, 
the other thing, you know, which you know, Matthew Delavadova, um, yeah, sure. you know, got a got a bit of a bad rap, but he grew up playing Australian rules football. When I watched and saw things, I didn't think he was dirty. I just think he's playing hard, hmm. um, and that's what that's what football teaches you is to play hard. Um, you know, and so it does teach you competitiveness and you know how to use your body and physical contact and those sort of things. Which if all you do is play basketball, you probably don't learn that as well. So yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important that that children, especially, don't over specialize and just play one sport all their life because they become limited. Yeah, I was about to flip the question on its end and talk about the over-specialization. In baseball in particular, it seems to be a scourge. People are really – this is yeah. like a big topic of conversation, particularly with pitchers, because if you start pitching in Little League and 9 or 10 years old, you're throwing curveballs and you're trying to air it out yeah. at 14 and get to 100 miles an hour, and you're not throwing a football, you're not playing basketball, you run a great risk of injury. And But but at the same time, if you want to be an elite pitcher, perhaps an elite rugby player, maybe let's speak to you know a sport that's more in your wheelhouse – does that happen? Does it? Is it the case that a 13-year-old rugby player who shies away from other sports leaves himself more susceptible to some sort of repetitive stress injury or something to that effect? Yeah, uh, look, I think, uh, you know, especially with your baseball example, yeah. like football's, a, let's say, a little bit more of a generic sport, but, yeah. you know, baseball pitcher, yeah, definitely you do you do leave yourself open to that. Um, and, and again, I think as, you know, I'm going to put on a, you know, a general philosophical view. If Please. I'm a, Kid, kid at eight years of age through to 28 years of age and all I've ever done is pitch. Eh, you know, like, surely there's got to be more to life. Um, <laughs> I like that. You know what I mean? And, and so even like you can get, um, let's call it, uh, more generic within a one sport. So there's a guy called, um, Joanne Cruyff who was a soccer coach at Ajax in Barcelona. And one of the things that they did at Ajax, which is a famed academy, a soccer academy, was that, you know, if I was a striker, they wouldn't let me play striker for three years. I had to play defender. I had to play midfielder mm. so that I understood, one, what those positions did, but also how those positions impacted on my position. Um, so even within a game, you can still um, not be specialized, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I'm a pitcher, you know, I, I want to be playing every other position as well when I'm 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Hey, if I if I'm a good pitcher, I'm going to be a good pitcher anyway, you know. So, um, you know, obviously you need to work on things, but uh, you need to play other sports. Absolutely, you know, athletics, track and field, as it's called in North America, mm-hmm. is, is a fantastic sport in terms of general athleticism. You've got to run, you've got to throw, you've got to jump. You know, you've got to run fast, you've got to run long. You know, so if, if they can do a whole lot of different athletics or track and field sports, that's fantastic as well. You know, so as they're growing up. Um, you know, gymnastics is fantastic in terms of learning how to control your body and move. Mm. Uh, yeah, all those sort of things. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that over-specialization in youth is a massive problem. Driven by, in my mind, the allure of money and fame um, and the feeling that I need to do this to, to, to get where I want to at the end. Probably driven by some people that run coaching courses and say, yeah. well, if you want to be yeah, a major league pitcher, you need to be doing my training from now. But you look at the number of, of stars that have played multiple sports when they're young, you know, it, it's it's incredible. So, yeah, don't ever specialize too early. <laughs> so what's the next frontier? You know, you're, the idea of being ahead of physical performance. You mentioned mental skills, certainly, but 
what are you looking out at? What are you saying? Ah, we're not quite there yet, but I feel like in a couple of years, we'll really have a better feel about this than we did in the past. Or we're about to embrace this new technology, which is not quite there. But I bet you when we have this conversation in three years, we will be more advanced than where we were. Yeah, yeah. Look, good question. Um, you know, at times I still feel like I'm trying to master my area. But um, like I said to you, I, I think that whole neuro, mental, emotional um, realm of performance is, is still massively untapped. Yep. Um, you know, and that's that's an area that interests me because you see you see people with the physical abilities and the skill abilities that should be so much better than where they're at, and there's a limitation a blockage if you want to say hmm. um and for me it's happening above the shoulders um you know and it's how do you, how do you tap into that um you know i think there's only so many laps you can run and dumbbells you can lift and, and those sort of things and and everyone can train hard in those aspects it's but the guys i think that the people that that are separated right at the top are um, those that can perform their skills under the highest pressure um the best you know um so, you know, there, there could well be better shooters in the world than Steph Curry, but no one does it how he does it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, so that's, so that's the area for me that, um, I also think, you know, there's a guy called Andy Walsh who, who used to be at Red Bull. He's just left there now, but, um, you know, he, he really opened my eyes a lot to, um, I guess the, the inner spirit of an athlete versus treating them as, a physical commodity. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. in my role, especially, yeah, yeah, get out there, train, do this, do this. But how do you, how do you tap into their, into their soul, their spirit and find out what really makes them tick and what's going to drive them to become better? That, that, that to me is where I need to get better at. Uh, Again, the self-deprecation. When we're members of the British Commonwealth, that's how it goes. You're an Australian, you're a Canadian. We just can't, we can't help ourselves. You got to, oh, well, yeah. I got to get better. You're 25 years in this industry and you're at the top of your field, but I got to get better. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay. I, all right. So I'm going to try to put you on the spot here because we, I am working on this 100 athletes, 100 greatest athletes project and we're trying to figure it out. And each day we have a different conversation. You know, rugby and cricket started coming up and we need to get off of our North American view and think about that. And then we start talking about yeah. auto racing and auto racing is, well, people are sitting. But they're going 200 yep. miles an hour with pinpoint speed and, and evasion and so forth. And the hand-eye coordination must be impossible. Maybe it's mm -hmm. ping pong. Maybe the ball's coming so unbelievably fast that just that particular skill, the ability to lock in on the ball, you know, might be that way. So I'm yep. going to put you on the spot. Which sport has yep. the greatest athletes in the world? Name one. In the world. Wow. Any sport. Um, it could be Sepak Takra, which I'm sure I'm, I'm mispronouncing, but that's a really cool <laughs> sport too. Yeah. Look, um, like I, I've worked with a lot of different sports, and yeah. so you know you, you appreciate greatness in many different areas. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work with some fantastic athletes over that time. Um, you know, I guess if you say to me who's the greatest greatest athlete, I'll come back to track and field, and I'll come back to decathlon. Okay, um, and say you know an all round athlete. They have to be up there, but they can't do things that on a basketball court or on a football field that others do. So, uh, yeah, that's a really tough question. Um, you know, I think back to, you know, I'm a little bit older. So, you know, guys like Daly Thompson, mm -hmm. who, who won, you know, the decathlon, you know, two, two decathlon gold medals. Um, you know, obviously Ashton Eaton is, is a fantastic decathlete. You know, those sort of guys are, are unbelievable. You, you know, 
Usain Bolt has done things that oh, they yeah. never ever Unreal. done again. Yeah. Um, but could Usain Bolt play rugby league? Uh, probably not, you know, because he'd get folded in half. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, th- there's a guy um, that that I worked with at the Sydney Roosters, a guy called Sonny Bill Williams, who, um, you know, he, he's played rugby league at the highest level. He's played rugby union for the New Zealand All Blacks, which are probably one of the greatest teams in history. He's won a couple of World Cups there. He's won NRL premierships. He's... You know, he played sevens rugby at the Olympics. You know, he, he's, he's an unbelievable athlete. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's, he's done professional boxing as well. So, you know, he, he'd be one of the best, but you know, we've got a couple of football players here that are probably, the, you know, Cameron Smith is probably the greatest rugby league player in the game. Mm. Um, no offense, no offense to Smithy. He, you probably wouldn't classify him as a, as a fantastic athlete, but he's one hell of a football player. Um, you know what I mean? So. It, that's, that's probably one of the hardest questions ever, but, um, <laughs> yeah, if you put me on the spot, I'd, I'd say someone like a Daly Thompson and Ashton Eaton, Ashton Eaton, those sort of guys. To me, athleticism, decathlon, that, that's probably where I'd go. Well, it's one of your comments was so interesting too, because you were referring to a player who was so good at his sport, but wouldn't necessarily be regarded as a great athlete. And I feel like that gets to the crux of the debate that I'm trying to have. Like, let's take Tom Brady as an example. Okay, so Tom Brady was drafted as a baseball player too, by the way. So he did have the multiple. Oh, really? Yeah, he was by my beloved and deceased Montreal Expos. In fact, they, <laughs> yeah. may may they rest in peace. But Brady, you know, if you compared Brady to Cam Newton or to LeBron yes. James, you'd be like, "Wow, okay, this is obvious. Brady's not as good an athlete, but Brady mm. throws the ball probably better than anybody else does, and Brady's decision making is instantaneous and almost always correct. Is yep. that part of athleticism, or is quick? Mental quick twitch and decision making. Yeah. When you say the word athlete, do yeah. we include that or not? Because that's the actual thing that we're so stuck on and we actually can't figure that out. And I'm not even sure there's a good answer to that of whether Tom Brady's a better athlete than Cam Newton or LeBron James. I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. Look, that, and that's a great point. Um, and I think when you say athlete, people tend to think athleticism. Right. But if you say who's the greatest sportsman, then they tend to think more in terms of how do you play your sport. Like without a doubt, Tom Tom Brady's is he going to be the greatest quarterback ever in in history? He'd have to be, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know, if, if you look at titles and and what he's done in longevity, yeah. is he the greatest athletic quarterback? He wouldn't even rate in the top fifty, I'd, I'd imagine. Right. Um, but he's a winner, and 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 that's the, that's what a quarterback's there to do is to win football games. And that's what he does. And, and the guy that I'm talking about, Cameron Smith, athletically, we have much better players in his position, but this guy has won five premierships that wow. state of origin game that I was talking about. Yeah. He's been a, the captain of the Queensland team, which has won 10 out of the last 11 series. He's captain Australia. He's probably the greatest football player, but he's not the greatest football athlete. Hmm. You know, so, um, I, I like your term, your mental quick twitch. That, that, and that's what, Cameron Smith is so good at it, and I'm sure that's what Tom Brady is so good at, is they assess situations and games and they take the right option 19 times out of 20, you know. And other guys, not, you know, bagging on Cam Newton, but he might only do it 16 times sure. out of 20, and that's the difference. Um, so if you talk about the greatest sports person, absolutely, I, I think the whole package has to be considered there without a doubt, and that's, that's what make, make, makes Brady great, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a fun debate, and I will leave you with one final question, which I do at the end of every podcast. 
I always ask the guest for a life tip, a nugget of wisdom, something that's fundamental to them. And it could be super serious about your job or it could be something completely silly. The silly example that I like to use is my friend Trey Kirby, who's a, uh, he's on television, right? Talks about basketball. He said that once you get to the airport, your vacation begins. So you can have 62 Cinnabons and it doesn't matter because you're on vacation. It makes no difference, which I like a lot. So whatever yeah. you got, if I meet you in a bar and I say, hey, Lachlan, it's nice to meet you. What are you all about? This is the one thing that you would kind of lock in on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's put me on the spot a little bit. Um, of course, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd had some pre-warning about that one. Uh, look, you know, I think um, I, I'm not going to be the holiday sort of answer. Like for me, it's like, you know, be yourself, trust yourself, believe in yourself. Um they're the most important things that I, I guess I've found in my time in sport, yeah. at least, is that, you know, everyone faces doubts, whether you're a sports person or, you know, in your job, in your life, everyone has doubts. Um, you know, be who you are, trust what you're doing is right, believe in yourself and, and you'll go places. And if, you, if you're not yourself or if you're doing things for other people, whether you're successful or not, it's not going to feel like success. So... You've got to do what's important for you. I like that very much. It's a great way to end this. Uh, Lachlan Penfold, what a pleasure. Really cool. Again, first Aussie, possibly first trans. Hey, this is my first Canadian podcast. That, well, I guess it's an American podcast, but with a Canadian. I wear, I wear okay. American hats. But thank you for okay. this very much. Uh, Lachlan Penfold on Twitter for people who uh, do that kind of stuff. And uh, thank you for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much, Jonah. Fantastic. Best. Thank you.